Well, I want you to know I'm really enjoying this series on the life of Peter because I really relate to Peter. Solid one week and shifting sand the next week, and, and I wish I could get over that in my own life, but, and I wish you could get over it too, uh, but he does represent uh, a relationship with Christ, which often is not just a straight line. There are ups and downs, and, and I know you feel that in your life as well. So we've titled this Shifting Sand to Solid Rock, and I'm sure hoping that he gets there to that place of being a solid rock. Well, today's a good day uh, in Peter's life and the story that we, we look at today. Now, I want, want to remind you that last week we went with Jesus and the disciples to Caesarea Philippi. This is far north, about 30 miles north of where Jesus hung out most of the time at the Sea of Galilee. And this is also high up. Uh, it's about 1,100 feet, but the Sea of Galilee is below sea level. So they, they went up into the mountains uh, on a kind of a retreat. Uh, just a little background. I remember we talked about how there was a cliff there, and in that cliff there was a cave, and there was a water pool, and, and the water would flow out of that. And it seemed to be a kind of never-ending. And they, and they tried in those early days to to see how deep the pool was, and they would drop like little weights on a cord down, and, and they could never find the bottom. So th they thought, oh, it's bottomless. And it became a kind of a sanctuary. The, the old uh, pre-Hebrew people, the worshipers of Baal, they worshipped at that place. Later, the Greeks and the Romans come along, and they worship Pan at that place. It even takes on the name Pania. Uh, not Peter Pan, but the, the Greek god uh, Pan. And, and, and so it's right in this setting, Jesus is alone with his disciples, and he's having this conversation about, well, who do the people say I am? And we looked at all the different answers last week that they gave. And then he said, well, here's a more important question. Who do you say I am? And that was the question for us. Who is Jesus to me? And, and so today we look at the next portion uh, in this passage, and it talks about being a rock. So I want to talk with you just a little bit about this idea of rock. The idea of rock in our society is like a big, solid, steady, uh, important kind of a metaphor, uh, and, and we have all kinds of different ones. When we think of overcoming obstacles, look at this picture. That's a rock to overcome. Would you ever do this? When I was younger, I maybe would have liked to try, but I don't know. This is like scary just looking at this right now. It's a nice clear day, though, don't you think? And it would be a woman doing it, you know. Put me to shame. The idea of a rock. Something to overcome. Um, of course, when I, when I started thinking about a rock, I thought of 1976. Philadelphia, the movie came out. Rocky. Dun, 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 dun. I wanted to play the tune, but Vicky wouldn't let me. Because I thought it'd be very inspiring. I could run up the steps and, you know, do all that. 
Here's, this is the actor, Sylvester Stallone, standing in front of the statue of Rocky there in Philadelphia. And those steps have become like a, a, a real center for that. And, and people do their own videos. And, and they run up the stairs and they go. And it's just a real inspirational thing. And what we're saying is, I, I'm going to be like a rock. I'm going to be strong. I'm going to be steady. And, and that's a good thing. Now, some of you won't remember this, but I remember being younger and there was a TV commercial about like a rock, Chevy trucks. Do you remember that? They used that great old song. I, I, maybe it was a Seeger's song or something. I, I, it, was, it was, you know, wow. And they sold a lot of pickups saying that they were tough like a rock. And um, I remember another one way before you guys remember that the TV used to be in black and white, and they had uh, sponsors for these television programs, and there was this one show um, that was sponsored by Prudential Insurance, The Rock of Gibraltar. So, like, I guess insurance should be steady and strong for you, and, and that was they were trying to convey that thought. Buy our insurance. We'll be there for you. We'll be strong. We'll be steady. But this service, you'll get this one better. Do you know who The Rock is? Dwayne Johnson is The Rock. He, uh, he got that name as a pro wrestler. He'd been a football player, too, and, and more recently an actor. And he is worth a lot of money. He has turned this being a rock into a, uh, into a lot of cash. Um, I love the movies that he's done with Jumanji just uh, more recently. Uh, some of his aren't that good, but, but some of them are very good. And, and I, I just thought, wow, this is fascinating. When I looked him up, I found this picture. Okay, so his name is Dwayne Johnson, but he goes by The Rock. His dad's name actually is Rocky. And his grandfather, that's his grandfather, his name's Peter. Could it be any better than that? Peter, the rock, Rocky? I got a lot more excited about that than you guys did. But I have to tell you, going way back to my childhood, my most famous Rocky, not yet, my, oh, you Rocky and Bullwinkle. I loved Rocky and Bullwinkle cartoons because they were good guys. And let me just tell you, Bullwinkle was dim-witted. He just didn't get it, but he had Rocky, who was solid, heroic, positive. He was just, he exemplified wonderful character qualities. Rocky and Bullwinkle. And these cartoons had moral lessons to them and, and I just love them. Uh, I, I learned uh, a lot of good stuff from Rocky and Bullwinkle. Well, mostly from Rocky, not so much from Bullwinkle. <laughs> do, do you even remember Rocky and Bullwinkle to some of you? Some of you are old enough to, to relate to that? Uh, he's my true life Rocky. That was, that's my, I don't know who your favorite is, but Rocky the Flying Squirrel. Rocket J. Squirrel. He's, he's my, my favorite. So we come to this, metaphorically speaking, Jesus is going to give Peter the name Rock, or today we'd call him Rocky, I'm sure. Uh, and so let's take a look. This is in Matthew 16, and we're going to begin at verse 18. 
And so Jesus is speaking and he says, Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Now I want you to understand that Jesus uses two different words for rock in, that, that are translated rock in English in this sentence. The, the, the first word that he uses is, is Petros, which is translated in the Aramaic Cephas. And in the Greek, it is the word Peter, which has become a name now, but it wasn't always. It was a rock. And it really it stands for a small stone, a movable stone, uh, something that, that you could use uh, in some way. Now, the next word he uses is the word Petra. And Petra means massive stone. Now, remember, Jesus is standing at the foot of Mount Hermon at Caesarea Philippi. There's this huge cliff face, 70 foot tall, with this cave going into the bottomless pit, the abyss. And, and Jesus is talking about Peter being a rock. What does he mean when he says that? Uh, Jesus blessed me. He says, blessed are you, little stone. But upon this massive stone of your confession, I will build my church. So there's two different meanings for this word that we translate as rock in this uh, passage here. Petros and Petra. Now, the metaphorical meaning of Petra, massive stone, is strength and stability. And I'm not sure that Jesus is seeing that in Peter's life yet, but it's going to come. And I hope that Jesus is seeing that in your life, that you are becoming a Petros, a, a, a stone that can be used. The next one was Petra. Oh, that's Petra, massive stone. Uh, strength and stability. Petros is the movable fragment of rock, uh, usable, but it, but it it's not the foundation, but it's maybe part of the foundation. So as we begin to understand this a little more, I need to tell you by true confession a problem that happened in the church. It was back in the 1500s, and there was controversy over this passage. And the church at the time, the universal church, we know today as the Roman Catholic Church, they said Peter is the one that Jesus was meaning, that the church is built on Peter, on this human being. And Martin Luther came by and he said, you know, that can't be right. The church wouldn't be built on a fallible human being. It must be built on the proclamation that Peter made, saying that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. So you've got being the person or the proclamation, and there's still a lot of scholars that debate over this. And so I looked through the Bible to find, metaphorically, how is rock used? And I came up with five different things. So what does Jesus mean when he says, upon this Petra, I will build my church. On this massive stone, I will build my church. Well, it could be five different things. So let's take a look. If you're taking notes today, write this down. Number one, the Bible tells us very clearly many places that, that God is the rock. This is Psalms. For who is God except the Lord? Who but our God is 
solid rock. And Deuteronomy 32, he is the rock. His deeds are perfect. And Psalm 18.2, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my Savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of safety. There's even a songs that are written from this passage, and it, and it gives us great hope of that strength of the Lord. So if you want to write these down, that's fine. But when we talk about God as a rock, what are we thinking about? Well, first of all, he is strong. He, he is steady. He's also perfect. He's a safe place. How many times do we hear in Scripture, run to God, run to that place of protection. Let God be your fortress, that place of protection. And that, and that God is that source of power. And that God is salvation. God is the one who saves us. So we see God as the rock, but lots of places, the New Testament really clearly tells us that Jesus is the rock. First uh, Peter, a, a letter that Peter himself wrote, says this. You, meaning you people, are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by the people, but he was chosen by God for great honor that Jesus is the cornerstone. He is the rock. Now, we understand Jesus is this living foundation for the church and that he builds together, and this word assembly or, or congregation, in the Greek it's this word ekklesia, which we translate as church. What it literally means is the called out ones, people who are called out of the world to get strong, and to go back into the world with the truth of the message of Christ, the gospel. And, and so uh, Jesus is this cornerstone, and all these other stones align with him. Now, have you ever built anything out of concrete block? I had the privilege to do this when I was seven years old. I was helping my grandfather, who was building a garage, out of concrete, these cinder blocks, you know? And I remember him taking a lot of time to get that first block set. And, and he had to get it just right. It was so fun. He mixed up mortar, which was just like fun mud to play in. He even called it mud. And so, you know, we're out there helping. And, um, and he's getting that block in there just right and letting it set up. And then he took a string and he did it from that uh, corner to the next corner and he laid that foundation uh, stone. And, and, and then every single block in between, he laid out right on that line. They lined up with the cornerstone. And, and so here is this terrific event from my childhood that I share with you today. I don't know if you've ever had the chance to do that, but very important to get that just right. And Jesus is the just right cornerstone, that living stone. And we then, like Charlie Brown, we are kind of blockheads. We get put in as uh, parts of the, of the building that God is making. Well, Peter is certainly one of these precious stones. 
And in many ways, in the early church, Peter was a, a rock, or is known as a rock. And, and so here's what it says in verse 18 that we just read a minute ago. Now I say to you that you are Petros, Peter, and upon this Petra, rock, massive stone, I will build my church, and the powers of hell will not conquer it. Jesus saw something in Peter. He possibly saw something that no one else saw. Maybe not even Peter himself. Look at Peter. He was willing to take risks. He was courageous. He was bold. Uh, he, he was a, a stone of conviction at times and, and of solid commitment. Uh, it's going to be him that, that whips out the sword and is going to fight for Jesus. Uh, he, he was solid in some ways, not always in the right way, but, but he was always trying. So in many ways, he's a rock. He was somebody that Jesus could count on. And Jesus is wanting that for us too. He wants that for you, somebody he can count on. So Peter makes this confession, this proclamation, and Jesus now is is able to count on Peter. And, and this would make Peter a rock upon which Jesus could build. And he's standing at this place, the contrast of Peter in this massive stone at Mount Hermon. Peter is a very important part of the early church. He's the leader of the early church. He's a rock. He's a key, a key foundation stone, but he is not the foundation. We have to see that as God and Jesus where Peter is joining them. Now, we, we know that true conversion is not based upon some uh, uh, emotional experience or some event, uh, some crisis event. I mentioned last week that people have these emotional experiences or a crisis in your life, and then they turn to God, but as soon as the emotions are gone, their faith is gone too. That's not a rock. That's shifting sand. And Peter's going to be true. He's sometimes going to be misguided, but he's always going to try to be true to his convictions of honoring Christ. So true conversion takes place when a person says, I have concluded, I've decided that Jesus really is who he declares himself to be, that he is the Son of God, and I'm giving my life to follow him totally. And Peter does that. Now and then he does that, and he becomes a rock. And this is a moment where he's a rock. Well, at least for a little while. Because next week it all falls apart. So come back for that. But Peter is a rock. Uh, verse 19 of that same passage of Matthew 16 says this, Jesus speaking, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. So there's been much about what's the rock Jesus is going to build on, and a lot more discussion about what are the keys to the kingdom. Now, let me tell you a very important distinction. This is not the key to heaven. This is the key to the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven on earth. 
And, and Peter has a very important role in the early church. He has this key given to him. Well, the key, that was a badge of authority. That, you know, who, who are the, the, the key holders of a group? They have a certain responsibility and authority. And Peter certainly has that. But the kingdom of heaven is not heaven. No one on earth carries the keys of heaven. Jesus is the key to heaven. But, you know, have you heard those jokes about, you know, St. Peter at the pearly gates? And usually the joke goes something like, what are you bringing? What do you got in the suitcase? And, you know, well, it's, it's gold bars. I just thought I, if I got to heaven, I'd want to have plenty of gold. And, and, and Peter looks at him and says, um, you brought paving stones? You know, that's the way the jokes go. Some are, are not quite as, well, not funny at all, but um, not as good as that one even. Um, the, the whole idea that St. Peter is at the pearly gates uh, keeping people out, that's, that's not right. That's wrong. Biblically, that's wrong. It's, it, it's foolish even. And I want you to know the purpose of keys are to open doors. Peter's given the privilege of opening the doors, the doors of the gospel, the doors of the kingdom, the doors of faith, especially to the Jews. And that happens at Pentecost. Paul is given the key to open the way for Gentiles to come to Jesus. You know, it's interesting. A lot of is made that Peter was given the keys to the kingdom. But in Matthew 18, 18, it tells us that all the disciples shared in this authority with keys of the kingdom. So it, it, we too have keys of the kingdom to unlock the mysteries of Christ for people so that they might enter in to a relationship with him. Okay, so Peter certainly is a rock, but next is the church. Often in the Bible, the church is a rock. Uh, back to that verse in 1 Peter that we looked at. Um, Peter says, you're coming to Christ, who's the living cornerstone, this cornerstone of God's temple, and that Jesus was rejected by the people, but he was chosen by God for this great honor. And then the next verse says this, and you are living stones. Peter's talking to the church. The church, your living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. You know, we, we think about the church as being a building. And that's a nice metaphor, but the, we call this the building. But the church is really the people. It's the called out people. Called out of the world and back into the world with the strength and the keys to be the truth, and to share the how to come to God, the way. Well, those who follow Christ are the church. And they're called out and called in to go and share the gospel. So the church is a rock. There's one more way that the word rock is used in the Bible. And it's that you are the rock. So if you're taking notes today, don't write down you are the rock. Write down, I am the rock. Or put your name in there. Because Jesus is wanting you to be a rock, part of the foundation of the, God, of the building that God is building. Uh, here's Ephesians 
Paul is speaking to the church, and he says, together we all are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. So each believer is a living stone in the house that God's building. Believers, now we we meet in local congregations to worship Christ and to serve him, but we're also a part of not just this church, but the universal church, the, the body of all believers. And that is the temple that's being built by Christ. Here's Paul again in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, Because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it. But whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. So it's very clear that Jesus is the foundation. The apostles and the prophets are part of that foundation. And the church is, each of us, a living stone built up for the church of God. Verse 16, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? Now, I have to tell you that I woke up at 5.30 this morning, and sometimes I'm waking up that time of night, and I usually uh, do a couple of things, and uh, on Saturday nights, Sunday mornings, I think about, now, what am I preaching on today? And it's kind of an effort sometimes to just recall it. And so I'm recalling it, and I'm going through this message. And I, I had kind of a weird week, and, and I, kind of an unsettled feeling, like, like the message wasn't quite done. So that's not a good thing if you're a pastor, to have that, okay? But I had to get my message in early. The notes had to be done. I had a, a district advisory board meeting on, on Thursday, and so... I, I had to get my notes in and, and the, the slides to Vicky so she could put them up together and all that. And, and so I, I kind of felt like, all right, well, I've looked at all the commentaries, I've read, I've prayed, I've searched, but I don't know if I'm, I'm satisfied. And, and there was so much talk about this one view that Peter is the rock upon which Jesus is going to build his church. And the other view is that the proclamation is the rock upon which Jesus is going to build the church. And I, I can't back and I'm going back and forth and I'm thinking, what, what could that be? And, and then I go to this district advisory meeting, board meeting. And what we deal with is pretty much with people who need money, churches who need money, and with problems, if there's some churches in problems. And we, we've got a church in, that's having a problem right now. And it's really tough. And so I'm going there and I'm thinking, what is the foundation for the church? What, what's the foundation for the kingdom of God? You know, God's a rock. Jesus is a rock. Peter's a rock. But is he the foundation? I, I, just, I just can't get into that. Well, the church, you know, the church, well, we're not the foundation, but we're built on that foundation of Christ and God. And certainly I am a rock, a, a portion of that building that God's making. And I, and I kept going over this. This is 5.30 this morning, okay? So 
my brain's kind of muddled, but I'm, and, and maybe God can speak to us better when our brains are a little muddled and, and we kind of get out of the way. But in this time, I, I went back to what we talked about last week. Who is Jesus? Well, that's very important to know who Jesus is. But even more beyond that, we need to know what Jesus came to do. We need to know why Jesus is. And that just kind of came together, and I began to think about that, and what's the purpose of Jesus? What is the foundation of the church? Not just who, but who, what, and why is Jesus? Who, what, and why is the church? And I just had to come down with the major theme of the Bible. The foundation of the church is love. Think about that. Why did Jesus come? To show people God's love. God is love. Jesus comes and he teaches us. What does he say? Love your neighbor. Love your enemy. Wow, that's, that's what speaks to people. Love. That's the foundation. Jesus said, there's no greater love than if you lay down your own desires, your will, for your friends. That great theologian, Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers, remember Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? That show used to drive me crazy. It was so slow and deliberate. And I would just, I wanted Sesame Street. I wanted action. And I realized how much violence there was in Sesame Street and lots of cartoons. Mr. Rogers had no violence. He was slow. One time he stopped and said, would you like to know how long a minute is? Let's just wait a minute. And they just sat there waiting a minute. And I'm going nuts. And my kids are watching this, and they're going, wow, this is awesome. It was calm. And they were calm after watching Mr. Rogers. I wound them up, and Mr. Rogers wound them down. Fred Rogers was an interesting guy. He was very deliberate. Uh, and maybe you know that, that he was an ordained minister, and his, his congregation was the children of America, and really even Canada and off to the world. People loved Mr. Rogers because he wanted you to be his neighbor. And what did Jesus say? Love your neighbor as yourself. When every time Mr. Rogers said, I want to be your neighbor, he was saying, I love you. As a matter of fact, Mr. Rogers had a number, 143. And he, he tried to maintain that number for his weight. This was his magic number. He would say 143. And it stood for this. One stood for I. Four stood for L-O-V-E, love. And three stood for you, Y-O-U. His number was 143, I love you. That was his secret code. When he said, I want to be your neighbor, he said, I love you. And he thought that was a message people needed to hear. There's a great documentary. You can see it on Netflix or YouTube or something. We watched it recently. And, and, and the, you know, Tom Hanks, uh, he did the movie uh, 
Won't You Be My Neighbor, maybe was the name of that, I'm not sure, did a great job. And by the way, Tom Hanks' grandmother was in the Church of the Nazarene in Chico, and so he went to Sunday school there sometimes. So that's just the bonus material for you today, okay? When you think about this, though, love, that's the foundation that God would have all of us build on. That's, that's our who, what, and why. We are the church for love. Peter is certainly one of these precious stones, but so are you. And all who are serving as building stones in the kingdom of God, their purpose is love. That's who we are. That's what we do. That's why we do it. Love. And if you believe you're part of the church as a building stone, and you're not loving... Do you know what Jesus calls you? A stumbling block. Now, a stumbling block's not always a bad thing, but in this case, it, it, it kind of is. Next week, he's going to call Peter a stumbling block, so come back for that, okay? But Jesus became a stumbling block. People in authority could not get over or around or through Jesus because he was going to be truth and love, and he was going to be the way. And for the religious leaders and the Jews and cynical people today, Jesus became a stumbling block. So we need to understand what is our part in the kingdom of God. We are to be a living stone, living love. That's our purpose. Well, there's one more verse in this portion of the passage that I want to share with you. Because this is verse 20. Then he, Jesus, sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Now, doesn't that seem like a strange thing for him to say to them? But think about that. Well, don't do it yet, is what he's really saying. Because that's the Great Commission. Go into all the world and tell them who I am, why we exist. Tell them about love. Tell them about God. But he doesn't want him to do it yet, because as soon as this word gets out, Jesus is going to be killed. He's crucified because of this, because he is who he is, what he came to do, and why he came to do it. And so he tells them, you're not ready. Get close to me, learn from this. And by the way, this is the first time there's a real serious thought-out proclamation that he is the Son of God. Now he's going to build on that. And he's going to build into Peter. And he's going to build into us and make us stronger and more solid for the kingdom so that we too can be a part of sharing that good news. But he knows the disciples aren't ready yet. And it's going to, he's going to spend some time with them. Now it's very interesting if you look at the Gospel of John. Uh, the Gospel writers, there's four Gospel writers, and they mostly tell the story of Jesus well, John's gospel is different. The very first half of the gospel of John is about Jesus' ministry, about three years. And the whole second half of the gospel of John takes place over one week of Jesus' life. But it was a very important week. A week where he was pouring his last 
teaching and commands into the disciples because he was going to have some important work to do to die to forgive our sins. And those disciples were going to have to be entrusted to be solid enough to share the good news, to share love. Well, Peter does become more solid, but not right away. The night before Jesus is crucified, he is shifting sand, and he blows it big time. But he is going to come around. But it's going to take Jesus coming back to life, appearing to those of his followers. He had some special meetings just with Peter because Peter needed some more help. And then 50 days after the resurrection, 50 days, Jesus then ascends to heaven after actually 40 days and then 10 days of prayer and then the day of Pentecost. And Peter becomes a solid rock. He goes out boldly and preaches and 3,000 people are added to the church that day. I'd like to say that was his last uh, time of being shifting sand before that. He's going to have another episode, but that's another sermon in the future. As for today, we are to be part of the foundation of the kingdom of God, built on God, Jesus, the proclamation of Peter, Peter himself, the apostles, the prophets. That's what the church is. That's who you are. That's what you do. And that's why you do it. Love. That's it. The foundation of the kingdom, the foundation of the church, the foundation of our lives is to love like Jesus. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your enemy. Love those who persecute you. Lay down your life, the greatest way to demonstrate love. Let's do it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending Jesus, for him being the, the very way for us to come to you. He taught us how to love. And he died so that we could love. And he sent his spirit so that we could love when we didn't want to. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for being who you are and inviting us to join you. And so, Lord, each of us here have a decision to make. Will we be solid? Will we be a rock? Will we share your love with others? Oh, Lord, give us opportunities. Give us chances this week to love someone who maybe is our neighbor or maybe is our enemy. But fill us with your love. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, let us be love. Walk with us into those places. And let your power be real in us. And we pray this in your wonderful name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, I need to tell you one more tiny little thing, okay? I didn't mention one of the things that happened in this passage. It says that the gates of hell will not overcome it. The church 
is stronger than the gates of hell. Now remember this place, Caesarea Philippi, the cave, the bottomless pit, the abyss, the place of the dead. That place was called Hades. And in the original languages, that's the word that's used here that we translate hell, the place of the dead, the realm of the dead. Jesus is saying the church is more powerful than the place of the dead. It's not that the church needs to be a fortress guarding against hell coming in and getting us. It's we need to go out there and be bold and strong and overcome the forces of darkness, of death, and the, the church is life. We get to do that. We get to be that. Yay, go do it. Be the church and use love. Make it so, would you? Everybody says amen.